Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Today, I bring you my conversation with authors and fellow podcasters, Evie Granville and Sarah Davis. These two are real-life best friends and moms to six young kids. Their advice has been featured in Parents, MSN, Reader's Digest, and other media outlets. Today, we talk about the science of minimalism as researched in their book, Modern Manners for Moms and Dads. This conversation was really exciting for me. I have been preaching minimalism for about four years now, but really diving deeper into the science behind why we want to buy for our children and how it really affects our kids psychologically when our homes are more cluttered than they need to be. So stay tuned for that. But before we get to the conversation, I just wanted to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review on iTunes is the best way you can help this podcast succeed and grow. Another way you can support the podcast is by checking out the sponsors like Magic Spoon. With the new year approaching, a lot of us are starting to create goals and habits to create healthier versions of ourselves. This could be with our schedules, decluttering, or like me, I plan to be more intentional when it comes to meals and mealtimes. As a busy mom of three, breakfast time can get away from me, and often I find myself just without time left over to prepare something healthy and filling. That said, I've recently discovered Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is a healthy alternative to cereal we know and love from childhood. It has amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. Magic Spoon comes in four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. And my favorite is the fruity because it does remind me from a favorite from childhood. The cereals have zero grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It tastes amazing. It honestly seems too good to be true. Not to mention it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. If you're interested in trying Magic Spoon in the new year, head to magicspoon.com minimalist to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code minimalist at checkout to save $5 off of your order. Lastly, Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com minimalist and use the code minimalist to save $5 off. Thank you again to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Evie and Sarah. Evie, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the Minimalist Moms podcast. We are so excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. I'm excited to have you here too. I was talking to Sarah beforehand and I have never discussed the science behind minimalism and just prepping for this conversation. I can't wait to hear your answers, but before we get in the conversation, as always, can you both introduce yourself to listeners that might not know who you are? Absolutely. I'll do a quick intro of the two of us together um, and then I'll let Sarah jump in. My name is Evie Granville. Sarah and I are best friends. We're moms to six young kids and we're parent educators. We host a podcast called Modern Manners for Moms and Dads. And last October, we published a book by the same title, Modern Manners for Moms and Dads, Practical Parenting Solutions for Sticky Social Situations. And that book is really meant to provide parents with a method for balancing their needs, their child's needs, and everybody else's needs when they're out in public with their kids faced with social situations that before we became moms and dads, we could never have dreamed of. 
whether it is a child who has a blowout diaper in the middle seat of an airplane during takeoff, or a kid who throws a tantrum because they don't like the gift they just received right in front of the gift giver. So Sarah and I share a goal of trying to help parents with gaining confidence, clarity, and building their social connections. And I'll just add to that real quick. We have, in terms of our backgrounds, um, I have an education background and child development background. I actually have my doctorate in education. Um, So I have been a teacher for a really long time and see kids and parents and talk through this sort of stuff with parents every day. Evie has a communications background. She worked in a high-stakes communication environment. So together, we create this manners guide that's fun and realistic and refreshing and based in child development and communication. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't been able to finish your book yet. That said, I have found the information so practical and easy to apply. And I think when you think of a manners book, you possibly are like, oh, I already know that. But I was finding myself, well, compelled by the way that you guys are storytellers, but also I didn't know as much as I thought. And it was honestly quite helpful, the parts that I've read. And then I read the section that we're going to talk about today. Again, I know the book isn't technically minimalist, but you do talk about minimalist concepts. So I'm just curious really fast before we get into it, are you minimalist yourself? Do you too consider yourself minimalists? I always feel like minimalism is like such a lofty term and I struggle with wanting to call myself a minimalist because all parents with young kids tend to have too much stuff in their house because because Mm -hmm. our kids are like little magnets for stuff. We bring in all sorts of stuff for them. We go out and we find some item in the dollar bin that we just feel like we can't live with. And then you get home and you're like, I don't think I qualify as a minimalist anymore. But I have to say that over the years, the older I get, the more I realize that the stuff is not what makes me happy. And actually through a series of moves, I've sort of realized that the stuff actually can make me feel really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that has caused me over the years to try to minimize and minimize and minimize and start to get to my kids to do it too. Just think about like, is this something that I really want in my life short-term, long-term, ever? So in that way, I would think that I'm on the path to minimalism. It's funny because I think this past year of 2020 has really helped me become more of a minimalist because I've spent more time in my home than I ever had before. And so I have seen the things that stress me out and I am ridding myself of them. So it's like, okay, I don't want to look to a wall and see piles of stuff. I don't want to look at my, even just before this call, it's so funny. I have been rearranging my kitchen counters like, okay, I don't want all of, I don't want anything on my kitchen counter. I want it to look so nice and clean. So that means I've got to take all the paper that's on that one corner and give it another home. I am constantly talking to my kids about like, oh, do we really play with this toy or can we put it in the attic for a while? Like, let's just not look at it for a little while. We're not throwing it out. Let's just put it away. Because I really do believe in the idea that, and we're going to talk a lot about this later in the call, that the focus of your life and the focus of your learning and your play really, really speaks to the way your environment looks. Absolutely. Going back to something that you said earlier, I think that it is so easy to want to buy these things at the dollar bin because they're marketed towards us as we're walking by. Like that little section looks so fun and charming and it changes with every season. Really, it seems like every mini season it changes, but yeah, when we actually bring those things in and they're just surrounding our environment, I don't think that a lot of people realize the connection between the overwhelm that they feel with those things and 
the overwhelm that they're feeling. And then once they do figure it out, it's like, oh, I can't believe I haven't done this from the beginning. But we're going to talk now about the science kind of behind maybe if, if there's a drive behind us. But my first question for you, is there a legit psychological and emotional reason behind why we as parents do feel compelled to buy and buy and buy and buy some of us buy some more than others for our children. I definitely want to touch on the, the emotions behind it Mm -hmm. um, and the psychological piece too. So as you just said, marketing is really important, right? Um, This is what they want. They want us to buy. They don't care about our emotional state. They want us to buy the thing that's in the store. Mm -hmm. So there's commercials, there's social media ads. Oh, you need this. You need this. You need this. And after you see that message multiple times, you think, Oh, well maybe I do need it. So you go get it. Right. Emotionally, I think sometimes parents, and I've been guilty of this too, like, oh, you know what? Let's go buy you a new toy. You know, you think like, oh, I want to do something with my child. Let me go buy them something. And what really should be happening in that moment, right, is attention. Your child really wants your attention. But sometimes, and it's really easy, and as I said, I've done it, it's really easy to replace that and say, you know what, let's just get you something new that you can play with. And we think that we can show our love that way. Like, oh, you know what? You haven't gotten a new toy for a while. Let's go get you a new toy and now you'll feel better. Or you got an A on that grade. Let's get you something new. Um, We praise them with things Mm -hmm. sometimes, right? Where we could praise them with attention. We could praise them with special quality time. But it's very, very easy to try to fill that cup with stuff. Because adults do it. Like, oh my gosh, I don't feel good. I'm going to go shopping right? We do it. We, uh, we, we try to, to fill our emotional copper, our needs with things. And then it's very easy to also kind of put that message onto our kids. Oh, you did a great job here. Let's buy you something. Um, and I, and I think that is, it's, it's difficult, but it's, it's a mistake. It's something that we want to try to, to correct that course so that our kids don't grow up thinking that every time they do something well, they should go buy something or every time they feel bad, they should go buy something. Right. Um, what what our kids really need in that moment is our attention, our undivided attention. And that would be the best gift of all. I just wanted to hop in too and throw out a statistic because I just love reading up on this stuff. And there was one that really stuck out in my mind that sort of demonstrates how big an issue this is in the United States in particular. And it was um, from a study out of the University of California. They have the University of California's Los Angeles Center on the Everyday Lives and Family Their report said that the U.S. has 3.1% of the world's children, yet the U.S. annually purchases more than 40% of the total toys consumed globally. And that number just shocked me. So that's something that we can keep in our mind as a question of whether this is a global issue, whether this is unique to us as parents in the United States, how much purchasing we're doing, and that overall sense of materialism. Yeah, absolutely. I know that I've had a a listener in the past reached out to me. She was on vacation with her husband and wanted to know what to gift her children when she got back to let them know that they had been missed and that the parents were thinking of them. And I was like, don't bring home a gift from vacation. Why don't you take them out for dessert? Just something that really you guys are spending that quality time with one another because that's actually what they want, regardless of the age. The gift is nice but it's never going to be a replacement for our time and attention. You know, Eddie and I are storytellers and I got a quick story here. I want to share with you because I think it really is, it's important to what we're saying. So when I was a little girl, my dad traveled all the time. 
always gone, right? You know, different trips, different countries, all these fancy places. And I remember he brought me back a couple things every so often. But what he always did was he wrote me a postcard from the place he was at and sent it to the school I was in. So I received all these postcards from all over the world. As an adult now, I have a gigantic photo album of all these postcards from all over the world that he sent me for like over 10 years. And that didn't cost anything, right? But it's like mm-hmm. so meaningful to me now as an adult. And as a child, I remember thinking it was super special because they would call me to the office and there would be a postcard from my dad and it was from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for your point that like it's attention, right? Mm-hmm. It's saying, hey, I'm thinking about you and let's go do something together. Absolutely. So when we do either by accident or intentionally overload our children with toys or just our homes in general with too many things, like we said, it does have an effect and I can definitely relate to that right now as we have brought in so many Christmas gifts that I wasn't expecting. And so I I can see the toll that it's kind of taken on my mindset, but what does the science say happens to our brains and really our moods in general when we're just overstimulated by the number of things or clutter in our homes? This is such interesting research to me because I have always had this feeling deep down that all that stuff in my house was stressing me out and I couldn't focus and I really had a big project I needed to work on, but gosh, I needed to clean the kitchen first because it was making me crazy. There's actually research to support that this is not just something you feel. It is It is real. It is there. It is proven. And one of the studies I liked best was they recorded wives giving self-guided tours in their homes. And then they studied the specific words that the women used to describe their home. And what they found that pe- was that people who talked about their homes as cluttered or unfinished, like they had projects they hadn't had a chance to get around to, had an increased depressed mood and flatter diurnal cortisol slopes. Now, mm-hmm. I didn't go to medical school, so I had to look all this up, figure out what that means, but it's bad. Flatter diurnal cortisol slopes are associated with poor health in terms of fatigue, cancer, obesity, depression, so many measures of your health. You do not want to have a flatter diurnal cortisol slope. So then even just looking at like, well, maybe these women were neurotic or maybe these women were in terrible marriages. No, the researchers even controlled for those elements. So when your house is cluttered or unfinished, it can actually make you unhappy and it has an effect on your physical health, mental and physical health. And then the other element that I thought was really interesting was related to the visual stimulation that comes from a really cluttered environment, that when there is a lot of clutter in our environment, it can make it really hard for us to focus. It can make it make us feel overwhelmed and our brain actually takes in too much stimuli and a cluttered environment actually ends up meaning that you have a cluttered mind. So when we overload our kids with toys or when we have too much stuff in our house, if we feel overwhelmed or we see that our children are not able to focus, that is real and measurable. So if it's doing something to us as adults, I can't imagine what our kids are feeling. I've definitely seen the difference even in my own child's life when she has a clean room that has fewer things in it, or if I've cleaned our playroom and it has fewer toys in it. They definitely flock to a toy. They'll play with toys longer because I think they're not so overwhelmed by having so many options that it's like, okay, I want to play with this. Oh, I see this over here. I'm going to move to this now. Oh, wait, but I kind of like this. And it's it's so disjointed that it's I don't know. I think that kind of amps you up. So do you have anything to say maybe about how it affects our kids and maybe just their ability to learn and thrive? 
So let's go back to advertisements for a second, mm-hmm. right? So it, you see a commercial on TV and what it's telling you is all of these stimulating toys are going to make your child smarter, going to make your child happier. If you buy this toy that, 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 that's super loud and really interactive and fun, your child can be smarter, right? But we're like, okay, like, I guess that's, you know, we just keep buying stuff for our kids. What you're saying is absolutely scientifically true. Have you ever seen a toddler go into a room and like stand there? Because there's like so much for them to take in mm-hmm. that they can't make a choice, right? They're standing there. There's like buckets and and, and, and and drawers. I always see, this is awful, but I always see people as playrooms, right? And they'll post pictures and they'll be so proud of their organization. And they'll have maybe like 20 drawers or like a gigantic shelf filled with toys, but they're off the floor. And they're like, this is my after. And I have to cringe and be like, no, that's your before. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you think that's your after, but it isn't. You need to cut out like, two thirds of those toys. And why? It's because we're overstimulating our kids. It's exactly what you said. Our children are going to lose focus. They're going to, you know, lose that, that idea that it's experience that's important. It's the experience with the toy. It's really intimately getting to know the toy, not touching a toy for two seconds and tossing it and getting something else, but actually spending time. If you ever go and do a therapy, any kind of therapy with your children, speech therapy, physical therapy, OT, they will take out one toy. They'll put it down in front of your child, and that child will focus and play with that toy for 15, 20 minutes. And as a parent, you're thinking, oh, my God, like, how does my kid focus? It's because it's the only thing to look at. If they had 10 things to look at, they would be completely losing their focus. They wouldn't get a chance to discover that toy. They wouldn't get a chance to problem solve, to build their imagination and creativity because there's something else to look at over here. Oh, I got to go over here. Even if you look at preschool classrooms, they are set up so that when you're in that center, you are focused on the things you're right in front of you. And there's mm-hmm. not a lot of things right there. So I encourage parents all the time to, and we're talking about this a lot in our Facebook group this week, talking modern manners for moms and dads, to really take inventory of the toys that are in your home and don't feel bad about putting some away for a while. Mm-hmm. And just taking out maybe, you know, five to 10 things that might not sound like a lot, but it doesn't have to be take out the things that are going to be the most interesting, your magnet blocks, your Legos, your baby dolls, you know, do we need 10 baby dolls? No, maybe one or two. Mm -hmm. That's okay. We really want our kids to be able to discover and focus on one thing at a time. And by the way, that is going to help them as they get older and go to school because they have learned how to focus and sit and discover one thing. So now when they're in school and they have to do their math, they're going to be worried about their math, right? It's all building up all these other skills as they get older. Absolutely. And I think I definitely will come clean. That is not always how I've done things. I would definitely say that even in the last year, I've allowed my son to have too many toys in his room. And it's definitely trial and error to kind of get that right number for your family or just what the things are. He has a lot of wooden blocks, but then he also has these plastic blocks. And I like kind of had to see and observe what is it that he actually plays with. He actually doesn't like the wooden blocks, even though I really like the way they look in his room. So pull those out of there for a while. And it's really hard after the holidays too, because our kids have just received tons of new things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're like, okay, let's keep all this stuff out. But then all of a sudden you're going to see over the next couple months, like there are some things that have been gotten touched. Mm -hmm. And I will sometimes go into a space, the play area, and remove things without telling them because if they haven't played with it and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, can I put this away? They're like, no, that's my favorite thing. I love that so much. And you're like, you haven't touched it in six months, but they, but they have, they had forgotten about it. 
and sort of like rearrange some things. Um, and, you know, for my two-year-old, I will deliberately, I have noticed that he won't take anything out because it's overwhelming. So I will deliberately put something in front of him. Like, okay, hey, let's play with Mr. Potato Heads right now. And then we'll sit and play with that. And then he might go over and get his little bag of Legos. Okay, great. Let's, you know, and I also, by the way, some people will say, oh, you play with one toy at a time. I don't necessarily subscribe to that philosophy because I think it's really fun to mix toys. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's build a Lego tower and put Mr. Potato Head inside. That's so fun. It's not about, oh, you have to play with this and then you have to play with that. It's just creating an environment where the kids don't feel overstimulated and disjointed with their play because they know where things live and there's not too many things. Mm -hmm. I was reading, gosh, what book was it? Someone was receiving the gifts. I think it was, it was Little Bear. It was like called the Christmas Sense. It was some sense and smells of Christmas. Yeah. But Little Bear on Christmas morning, he receives like five or six gifts. And I was like, this book, I don't know when it was written. It was definitely written many, many decades ago. But Little Bear was content with his little five, six items. He wasn't complaining for more. He knew no different. And I just think he was probably really content for many months with his five or six. I'm like putting personification on this bear. <laughs> but I. Well, it, and one of the gifts was an orange, right? It was something yeah, so simple an orange. that we just take for granted now. I mean, he definitely gobbled that up at the end. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think he received like a horn, a ball. Um, I can't remember the other things he received. But. I just think that at one point in time was sufficient. People didn't have the advertisements. People didn't have the social media seeing what other people had. I think when we stop comparing to what other people have and see what is best for our family, that's when we can thrive. And then when we're thriving, we're not going to feel as compelled to compare. It's really hard because people put on social media, oh, I have this item, I got this object, and you feel like, oh, should my kid have that too? Like, am I behind if I don't buy that one toy, you know? And, you know, if your child wants it and you want to buy it, sure. But if you don't think it's going to add to your child's, like, toy repertoire, don't get it. It's it's, it's like, it's, it's not, and, you know, for me, I feel like if it's a big toy and it's going to take up a lot of space, that gets frustrating to me because back to, you know, the declutter of the house, I don't necessarily, I have four kids. I don't want a toy for one kid that's going to take up half the room. Mm -hmm. You'd have to do like a cost-benefit analysis for each toy you want to bring into the house, right? Because you are adding clutter. And although it may like annoy us as adults to have to figure out where we're going to store all these toys, it's also just not great for kids to be surrounded by that much stuff. I mean, again, going back to the science about being visually overstimulated, they did a study with kindergartners where they did... um, They set up two separate classrooms to give two sets of kids introductory science lessons. One of the classrooms was very highly decorated, stuff all over the walls, and one had nothing on the walls. The kids who were in the classroom where there weren't as many visual distractions were less distracted, they spent more time on task, and they had larger learning gains. It is measurable that kids learn better when there is less stuff around. So if you're going to buy that extra toy at the holidays, it's got to really make sense in your home. And I have also, after the holidays specifically, or a birthday, put some of the toys up. It is probably easier to do with little ones than like an eight or nine-year-old. I can't speak to that, but just putting them away. And I've told Charlotte, I'm like, let's bring those out on a cold winter day or a really hot day. Let's, let's wait for those gifts. And, um, if she notices me taking them, but 
yeah, it, it really does help to kind of hold some of that back when you are getting too much, but you're like, I do like these gifts. I just want to kind of wait to incorporate them in until we can do this change. So that's such a great idea too, to hold on to something for a snow day or a day where someone's not feeling well. And you're like, Oh, look, I have this item, this a craft project or whatever that you haven't done. It's great. Well, ladies, is there anything else that you think would be beneficial to talk about or anything else you'd like to share before we kind of wrap things up here? You know, the only other thing I'd like to say is to make the point that when your home is really manageable because you've cultivated the things that you love and you want to keep and they have a home, when you feel like you can tidy up your home on the drop of a dime because somebody's coming over real quickly, like your mother-in-law is going to show up in 10 minutes, when you have the sort of home that feels manageable to you, you are much more likely to open your doors. And that might be to your mother-in-law's popping in, or that might mean that you host some friends for a play date and you feel really good about that. Because Sarah and I have noticed over the years that when you walk into the house of a family with young kids, 99 times out of 100, the first thing that the adult says is, I'm so sorry, it's such a mess. Mm-hmm. And they, they're saying it because they mean it. And that's a horrible feeling to have. And it gives everybody the sense that like we're all judging each other's homes. So in my life, I have found that really downsizing, really thinking about the things that I want to have out sitting out on my counters, as Sarah said, or what I can do with that extra pile of paper, when things have a home and my house feels tidier and more manageable, I am much more likely to open my home to others. And that has been a real opportunity to build social connections over the years in a number of moves, helping the kids get reestablished in new towns, and for me as well to make friends. So the only thing that I would add is that this can feel like a monumental and super challenging task. So, you know, there's a full closet, there is an area of the house that just can't seem to get organized. And to that, I get it. And I would say go one space at a time and don't be afraid of throwing things, not throwing things away, but donating things, giving things to other moms and dads who need clothes, or you have a friend who's got a child a year younger than you. Don't hold on to all those clothes. Just give them to your friend. Um, And it is going to be probably about removing a lot of things from your home before you feel good, before you feel like you can do the organization part of it. It's just really funny that you're talking about getting rid of the baby clothes because I can't, I'm pretty certain we're not going to have a fourth, but I have all these really cute baby boy clothes. And I'm like, well, just in case. And then my neighbor had a baby and I was going to be like, okay, we'll keep these ones, but these ones, I don't care if you have, but these ones. And I'm like, no, just give it to her. You're crazy. But I had to do it then. I mean, I've had three boys and we have some clothing that has gone through all three boys. So that Mm -hmm. makes me feel really awesome. I'm like, yeah, we got our $10 out of this shirt. Like this has been through three boys. (laughs) Well, as we kind of wrap things up here, I'd love for you to share where listeners can connect with you or buy a copy of your book. You can find us on evieandsarah.com. It's E-V-I-E and S-A-R-A-H. You can read about our book there. And our website also includes links to purchase our book on Amazon or wherever you like to purchase your books. We also have a podcast, as I mentioned, called Modern Manners for Moms and Dads, which you can find on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an amazing Facebook group called Talking Modern Manners for Moms and Dads. We'd love to continue this conversation with you there. Perfect. Well, as we wrap things up here, I think Zoom is giving us four minutes, but I think we can get it done. I would love to know what you guys are minimizing this week. What is your minimalist moment of the week? I am minimizing the number of commitments I'm taking on in 2021, and I am learning to say no to volunteer opportunities. 
I would say for me, it is a very similar thing where I am trying to create more intentional free time. Perfect. My last question for both of you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? Something I can't stop talking about is how important it is for parents in particular to perform self-care and do it in front of their kids. Mm. Sarah and I really believe that this is the basis for happy parenting. We were just talking about it on our Instagram account at Evie and Sarah. And I constantly make the point that it is good for kids to see their parents making themselves a priority. Because guess what? We are human beings who need care too. And something that I can't stop talking about coming from my education background is that parents should not worry so much about what's going on with their kids academically this year. This is a year to focus on emotional security and safety and love and not worry so much that every single assignment is done or, oh my gosh, he didn't like this, you know, this Zoom call or didn't, didn't want to participate or needed to take a break. All of that is okay. All of these kids are going to be okay. And if there's anything that I want to share with parents right now, it is that like, please, please give yourself some grace and, you know, check in with your kids emotionally and don't worry so much about the academics. Yeah. And I've honestly heard that one of the best ways to keep up their education is just reading. I said yep. reading, reading, reading. I said that's, I've heard that that's just a foundation of learning for the rest of our lives. And so Absolutely. I'm trying to do as much of that as I can. Reading, being with them, cooking with them. There's so many ways to learn that don't include sitting in front of a screen. 100%. That just, that count just as much. Yeah, not absolutely. More. Well, ladies, Zoom is only giving us less than one minute, it says. So I appreciate your time today. I'm so excited about this episode. I thought this was full of just wisdom that I hadn't heard of or just articulated better than I ever could. So I just appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having us. This was really fun. It was. Thank you. What did you think of the interview? There were so many moments that I just found myself nodding along to what they were saying, but one of the biggest takeaways for me that I'll just continue to pass along myself is that gifts do not replace the time we spend with our children. We can continue to buy, but what our children really want and need from us is time. They want time, quality time. What are your thoughts? I'd like to know. I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.